some words from the letter to the church in Galatia. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking or envying each other. We pray together prayers of thanksgiving. Loving God, we are glad to be together today to worship you. Glad to be with our friends and our families to share in this special time. Glad that even though we can't see you, you are here with us. We want to say thank you for the many blessings we have received this week. Thank you that on cold days we have warm clothes to wear. Thank you that when it rains we can go into our homes to find shelter. Thank you that when we are hungry there is food to eat. Thank you for our universities, colleges, schools and nurseries where we can learn new things. Thank you for the shops where we can buy the things we need or we want. Thank you for our bodies, young or old, strong or weak. Thank you for minds to think and hearts to love. So many things. And in the quiet of our hearts, we offer you our own thanks for the good things that we enjoy. We thank you for the wonder of your world. Thank you for plants and trees, flowers, vegetables and fruit. Thank you for wild animals, farm animals and pets. Thank you for mountains, for rivers, for deserts. Thank you for people who look like us and people who look very different. Thank you for grown-ups and for children, for old people and for babies. Thank you for people who help us and for people we can help. Thank you for setting us in a world of wonder and delight. Such a wide and marvellous world. And in the quiet of our hearts, we offer our own thanks for the good things we enjoy. <clears throat> Loving God, help us not just to say thank you, but also to live thankful lives. Help us to think about others, not just today, but every day.
and help us to grow more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. There are two scripture readings this morning, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. The first is from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 12. The Lord's servant. The Lord says, Here is my servant, whom I strengthen, the one I have chosen, with whom I am pleased. I have filled him with my spirit, and he will bring justice to every nation. He will not shout or raise his voice, or make loud speeches in the streets. He will not break off a bent reed, or put out a flickering lamp. He will bring lasting justice to all. He will not lose hope or courage. He will establish justice on the earth. Distant lands eagerly wait for his teaching. God created the heavens and stretched them out. He fashioned the earth and all that lives there. He gave life and breath to all its people. And now the Lord God says to his servant, I, the Lord, have called you and given you power to see that justice is done on earth. Through you I will make a covenant with all peoples. Through you I will bring light to the nations. You will excuse me, open the eyes of the blind and set free those who sit in dark prisons. I alone am the Lord your God. No other God may share my glory. I will not let idols share my praise. The things I predicted have now come true. And I will tell you of new things even before they begin to happen. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing his praise, all the world. Praise him, you that sail the sea. Praise him, all creatures of the sea. Sing, distant lands and all who live there. Let the desert and its towns praise God. Let the people of Kedar praise him. Let those who live in the city of Selah shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let those who live in distant lands give praise and glory to the Lord. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 34. It's found on page 10 of the New Testament. No one can be a slave of two masters. He will hate one and love the other. He will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to be worried about the food and drink you need in order to stay alive, or about clothes for your body. After all, isn't life worth more than food? And isn't the body worth more than clothes? Look at the birds. They do not sow seeds, gather a harvest, and put it in barns. Yet your Father in heaven takes care of them. Aren't you worth much more than birds? Can any of you live a little bit longer by worrying about it? And why worry about clothes? Look how the wildflowers grow. They do not work or make clothes for themselves. But I tell you that even King Solomon, with all his wealth, had clothes as beautiful as one of these flowers. It is God who clothes the wild grass, grass that is here today and gone tomorrow, burnt up in the oven. Won't he be all the more sure to clothe you? How little faith you have. So do not start worrying. Where will my food come from? Or my drink? Or my clothes? These are the things the pagans are always concerned about. Your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. Instead, 
Be concerned about everything else with the kingdom of God and with what he requires of you, and he will provide you with all these other things. So do not worry about tomorrow. It will have enough worries of its own. There is no need to add to the troubles each day brings. Amen. Last week, we began a short series of sermons based around the idea of active waiting, which we can understand generally as being about life in the now and not yet, between Christ's ascension and the consummation at the end of time, and which can also be understood much more specifically in our own situation of waiting for the situation regarding our building to find resolution. As is often the way, and it's something I'm very grateful for with this particular church fellowship, a number of people came to me after the service and spoke to me about what I'd shared. Some thought that I could, and perhaps should, have pressed some of the ideas further. And I think that's true. Though I think you're all very clever people, and you can probably do that for yourselves. Some said they found it helpful and I'm very glad that that was the case it's always encouraging for the preacher when people say that what you've shared has been helpful or useful or challenging as long as I don't just tell you it was nice hymns or not nice hymns then I'm usually fairly happy and some wondered and I think it's a very fair point that it's not about us waiting for God but about God waiting for us. In other words, it's not just a time in which we have to learn not to say how long God have we got to wait for you, but a time in which we learn to look and listen to discover what God is doing, announcing, and join in with it. And I think that's true as well. There's a bit of a both and, I suspect, going on there. And as I pondered that, I found myself recalling the words from Galatians chapter 5 with which I began the service in the way it's translated in the New International Version, which each each, uh, translation of the Bible has its own subtle differences, which can give us new hints of understanding. In the NIV, the New International Version, it says, Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. A friend of mine chose that verse to be preached on at his ordination service, along with a bit more of Galatians, it has to be said. And I remember him commenting to me that he'd realised that this meant walk at the same pace as the Spirit of God. Not lagging behind and not running on ahead. Because part of the challenge we face in our meantime lives is precisely that. How do we keep in step with God? Not just treading in the footmarks of Jesus, though that's useful and important, some way behind, as if, you know, we, it's like those chevrons on the motorway, keep apart two chevrons for safety, are we keeping apart several steps from Jesus? But actually, 
learning to try to match God's steps stride for stride, walking alongside the Spirit of God. Of course, we don't always get that right. Sometimes we do lag behind. Sometimes we carry on going when God said, hang on a minute, just take a breather here. And sometimes we wander off to the right or the left or some very strange angle because we're sure that we know what the best is. So in keeping in step with God's spirit, what kind of spirituality is helpful for us? The evangelists used to talk about keeping in step with the drumbeat of God's heart. Do you remember that one? I certainly remember it from my teens. The evangelists would come in and talk about people marching to the beat of a different drummer, which was the heartbeat of God. And that's true. And it sounds great. But how do we do it? How can we make our life together reflect the glory of Christ in whose likeness we claim we are being transformed more day by day. Well, before I go any further, perhaps it's helpful to think just very briefly what on earth we mean when we talk about the word spirituality, either a personal spirituality or a group spirituality. There are lots of ways you can do that, and if you Google it, you will find all sorts of answers, because Wikipedia's back up now, so that's fine. But for our purposes today, I'd like to suggest that spirituality can be understood as being a little bit like personality. It's a combination of characteristics and attitudes that define and shape the approach to life of an individual or a group of people. And the way it differs from the broader concept of a personality or of just characteristics is it has a deliberate and distinctive spiritual dimension. It expects our faith in God to shape our living and expects our living to be shaped by God. So what kind of characteristics should we be developing in our personal and corporate lives that help us better to keep in step with God's spirit? That's kind of the thread I'm going with today. We've heard three little passages from the Bible this morning. The words from Galatians, the description of the fruit of the spirit and the mandate to keep walking with God's spirit. The beginning of the servant song in Isaiah 42 and part of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 6. And each of those gives us some hints of characteristics of a helpful meantime spirituality. As part of my preparation for this series, I've read a little book that was called Seven Spiritual Gifts of Waiting written by an American author called Holly Wickham. She identifies seven characteristics, or gifts as she calls them, that can be discovered and developed during a period of active waiting. I read the book, I slightly tweaked the names, I printed them out on a sheet for you all to take away and I left it upstairs, so you can't see what they are. I might run upstairs at the end of the service and get them so you can, you can get one before you go home. 
but she identifies different aspects that she relates to our life in church and to our relationships with God and one another and our relationship with the wider world that actually I think are helpful for us as we think about what it means for us to be in a time of active waiting. So today we're going to focus on attributes that have a specific sense, to me anyway, of emerging from or relating to our relationship with God. As we do that, one of the things we need to hold in mind is we can never know how long the period of waiting is going to last. We don't know how long this meantime will be. In other words, as we listen for God and seek to walk with God in the waiting time, how can these characteristics help us? Because we don't know that we've just got to be like this for two weeks or two years or two decades. We just have to keep going. So what valuable lessons can we learn that might be able to equip us better? There are only three that I'm going to cut today, so you'll know when I get to the end, and you can wake up again. The little passage we heard from Matthew must be one of the most beautiful and well-known parts of the Bible, and yet I suspect it finds the least genuine application in the lives of Christians, either individually or corporately. It's All fine and dandy to be told that we can't serve both God and money. And yet we're all snared by the needs to make sound financial provision for ourselves and those we love. The current global financial model and closer to home the change in pension provision each serve to remind us of the dangers of worshipping mammon on one hand and the genuine dependence we have on money on the other. Simply expecting the state or the church to provide for our needs isn't an option. We live in a materialist culture, and a naive assertion that the Lord will provide doesn't really hold a lot of water. Running a church costs money, lots of it. Providing for our old age, a privilege that we in the West largely take for granted, costs money. We are enmeshed in the practicalities of mortgages and loans and savings plans and so on and so forth. And I think that sometimes, if we pause to reflect, we realise that a disproportionate amount of our time and energy is being devoted to making financial plans for a future which actually has no guarantee. An important part of a meantime spirituality is what could be called present-mindedness. Something which Jesus alludes to in the illustration of birds and flowers in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we need to be clear that this doesn't mean we don't give any thought to the future. We don't abandon a sense of forward-looking. But what it does mean is our approach to the future is held in a healthy relationship with our attitude to the here and now. 
Present-mindedness should mean that we have... Well, the author talks about a non-anxious. I'm a bit more realistic. A less anxious approach to life, coupled with a generous presence, to use her words. We learn the joy of the present moment, to delight in the small things, to discover that ordinary is actually rather lovely, and putting the majority of our energy into living life to its full, here and now, not gazing wistfully off into the distance to that one day when the money and the building and the faith will all come together. The Dayenu mentality we sang about earlier, that this is sufficient, surely is part of an authentic present-mindedness. An attitude that says, what God has given us is enough. And therefore, we can enjoy each day for its own sake. Deal with what we have to deal with now. Spend our energy in the present rather than deferring everything to some future date. That's what this is about. If my own experience of the last year or so has taught me nothing else, it's to be a bit more spontaneous, to enjoy the here and now, to live the present moment. And I have a suspicion that this is part of what active waiting offers us, a gift, if you like, of space and time to enjoy the here and now, to grow together, walking steadily, step by step, with God, one day at a time. Allied to the idea of present-mindedness and informed by the Dayenu attitude is gratitude or thankfulness. Rather than bemoaning or coveting what we don't have, we learn to appreciate what we do have. A grateful heart isn't controlled by the acquisition of material wealth or property or possessions, but actually appreciates what it already has. In fact, gratitude goes beyond the idea of that's enough, that's sufficient, that's good enough for now. But it moves actively into that old-fashioned idea of counting your blessings. I was kind of doing that a little bit in the opening prayers this morning. Holly Whitcomb in the book that I've mentioned suggests that gratitude leads to opportunity for growth and discovery, and she sees the Beatitudes as indicative of this. Blessed are they who, because... Now, what she's not doing there is elevating suffering or struggle as virtue in its own right. But rather, she says, this is an opportunity to develop a robust faith characterised by gratitude that eagerly seeks opportunity to grow and develop despite or through what occurs. What she's not doing, because I had to read it twice to make sure of this, is suggesting a Pollyanna approach. She says, I'm really glad this bad thing happened to me because now blah, 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 blah. 
actually it's more like the faith of Job who says, despite this, I will choose to bless God and live. I think there's probably a fine balance sometimes between the two of those. And we need to be very careful that we neither revel in adversity nor ascribe spiritual significance to every little hardship that comes our way. But there is something about this attitude of gratitude, of seeking positives and thanking God for them, that I think gives us a happier and more hopeful meantime in which our faith can develop in a healthy way. In the little book, the last of the seven gifts is identified as trust, and specifically trust in God. A time of waiting helps us to cultivate many useful attributes, to nurture a spirituality that is gentle and humble and compassionate, to value relationships over ambition or possession, Above all, it teaches us to trust in God. Trusting in God, hopefully, and I think it's true, reduces anxiety, promotes love, and provides us with courage for the meantime. The reading we heard from Isaiah speaks of God's chosen servant, And as Christians, we read that through the lens of 2,000 years of being told, that's about Jesus. And I'm sure that is a valid way of reading those words. But because we read it this side of Jesus, we don't read it as it might have been read in its original context, as relating to Israel, to the people of God. Israel is God's servant. Remember Mary's song of praise? He has heard his servant Israel. And so these words can act as an encouragement to us if we put ourselves into it. And nestled in the midst of those characteristics of gentleness and encouragement and building other people up, we read this. I am the Lord... I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. Perhaps it's just the first part of that that is relevant for us today. God holds us by the hand and keeps us safe. Our trust is well placed. And we are led gently through our meantime towards a future that God will, in God's own good time, declare to us. Sadly, in one service or even a series of services, we can only scratch the surface of these ideas, only begin to start to think about a spirituality that will be helpful and healthy as a part of active waiting. 
But I wonder what it is that God has whispered into our hearts and minds this morning. I wonder which of those attributes of a meantime spirituality, individually and collectively, we need to develop further. And I wonder as we develop those attributes of present-mindedness, of gratitude, and of trust, how does that, in turn, impact on our ministry and our mission? These are questions that we will return to in a couple of weeks when we pick up this series again. But for now... We need to hear the words of Jesus and do our best to lay aside our worries and our questions, our doubts, our fears, as we look and learn from the birds of the air. And now we come to the point where we pray for others. Let us pray. Dear Father and Creator of all things, we bring our prayers for others to your attention. Please hear us. The theme of our sermon has been on the subject of waiting, and there has been much of that in our world of late. We pray for those who suffered grief and injury in the grounding of the cruise ship Costa Concordia and for the relatives of those whose bodies have yet to be recovered. They wait. They wait and while there is no word, they hope. How can they not? Sustain them, Lord, in their agony of waiting And when the waiting is over, help them to bear the truth they already know in their hearts, that their loved ones are safe in your arms. Help, too, we ask, the foolhardy captain of that ship and his family who will have to live with the consequences of his errors. We pray for our government leaders both here in Scotland and in the wider United Kingdom. Help them in their deliberations over our future. Help them to put personal bias aside and do what is right for us all. Help us to wait with confidence that all will ultimately be well in this, our national family. We pray for others who have waited long, for the family of the kidnapped security guard who have long grieved their loss, but now may have some measure of peace in having their loved one returned home. We pray for the peoples in areas of conflict and hunger whose suffering continues. They wait for relief. But since their plight is no longer headline news or their part of the world is not lucrative to foreign powers, 
their wait will be long. Out of sight, out of mind for the media. But you do not forget them, Lord. You weep for them and urge us as Christians to weep (coughs) also. But more importantly, not to forget and ignore their suffering, but to do what is in our power to make their wait shorter. We pray for the people of conscience all over our world, for those who are persecuted for their beliefs, for those who are driven out of work for their beliefs. And we pray for those who are ill and waiting results or waiting the outcome of operations. Waiting. Waiting as their loved ones wait too. Sharing not in the sickness, but in the waiting agony of uncertainty. We pray for those affected by the downturn in our economy, waiting for better times. For the parent made redundant or recovering from ill health, whose income has dropped while their living expenses rise. Help them in their anxiety. Reassure them of the love which surrounds them from friends and family and overall from you, our Father. Waiting is hard, Father. It was hard for your son in the Garden of Gethsemane. We are not as strong as he is. Help us to appreciate what we have what is important, what is eternal. Help us to wait in patient love of your grace. Dear Father in heaven, hear our prayers, we beg you. Amen. Gracious God of all times and places, we thank you that you are with us in our going out and coming in our pausing and our waiting. May our meantime waiting enable us to grow a deeper, richer understanding of what it means to walk in step with your Spirit as disciples of Christ. And may the spirituality that we have identified and heard about sustain and guide us today and each new day. Mm.